1: Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women comes out this January and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Well hey everyone, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host Erica as always and I'm excited today to be joined by Natalie Runyon. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Oh, Erica! Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we have connected through social media. It's been really great just to meet you and learn about your ministry.
1: Yeah, you too. I, I, you know, of course, like like so many of us, I found you on Instagram, and I don't know where how where how you popped up, but I just I started seeing all the stuff you were putting out there, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am so tracking with this girl. I've got to connect with her. So, and then I saw you were writing a book, and I'm writing a book, and so I figured we would have a lot in common. And now we're following each other on TikTok. I
0: know I
1: saw that. I'm so bad at TikTok. (laughs) I'm trying to be good at TikTok. I, I, you know, it's like I started doing this stuff about all about church because they say like just have a niche, just do one thing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna. I don't really care about anything else on TikTok, so I'm just gonna do it and see what happens. And it's kind of, it's kind of working. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your family, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So my husband and I, Tony, we live in Colorado
0: Springs, Colorado. We have two girls. Um, They are 13 and nine. Uh, We're originally from Ohio and Kentucky. So we've been in Colorado for five years now where I'm on staff at New Life Church. Um, I am a women's pastor. I'm the women's pastor there as well as the creative pastor of family ministry. So I have been a worship leader most of my adult career. Um, I was a pastor's kid until I graduated high school. And then ended up in full-time ministry. So I've been a worship leader about 20 years and now really moving into more of like the teaching and mentorship as um, a women's pastor. And then I lead a beautiful children's choir here at New Life and do a lot of songwriting and things like that. So that is in in a nutshell um, what I do now. And then I started a ministry called Raised to Stay. That is for those of us who have been raised in the church and have gone through some church hurt gone through our own little faith crisis or wandering and wondering, and we're still here and trying to navigate now what it looks like to be, um, in the church as adults and also raising our own kids in church. But really the tagline to raise the say is why we could have quit and why we choose to stay. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much, um, what I'm working on now. My book comes out, we don't have a title on it yet, but it's along those lines. Um, next summer with David C. Cook. So it's been um, a busy, but really exciting season.
1: Okay. I just love this concept so much that you have because it is so needed right now. I mean, obviously anyone that has any foot in the faith, the Christian faith world right now knows what's going on with deconstruction. And of course that means many different things, depending on who you're talking about. I don't necessarily think it's always bad, but it sometimes is not great. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of that comes from people that were raised in the church and you see, I just actually, I've been working on an article, um, for, some, uh, that I'm writing for something. And I've talked to a couple of deconstruction coaches and, and gotten some information from them. And a lot of the people that they work with are from like evangelical backgrounds. Um, and so, um, have you, sort of been in community with people that are going through that? And did that inspire you at all in what you're doing? Yeah, because I was watching,
0: I I grew up with very talented people, musicians and worship leaders and pastors and people that grew up the same way I did. And then suddenly in our 30s, they just left. There was no um, warning. It was just all of a sudden, this person or these people who were thriving or seemingly thriving in leadership positions in the church all of a sudden we're like you know what i'm good and i i had to ask why and then i found myself in that same place at 40 years old kind of like you know what i might be done with this and not just my role in a church but actually like what i do for the kingdom like this is a lot of work and it actually i get hurt more than i'm getting helped and so i started asking myself like why am I having this when I feel like my faith is pretty strong? If I'm wrestling like this, then no wonder people who don't really have that same background as me are questioning and wandering and wrestling. And is that okay? And are we allowed to? And look, I'm all for a deconstruction if you have the emotional, spiritual, and physical stability to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Because I think we all need to ask ourselves these questions. But what's happening is, People are deconstructing and then they have no community. They have no accountability to walk that out and then rebuild their faith. You mm-hmm. know, so I have really just spent the last couple of years asking my friends, um, people that are in my family, my own blood family, you know, why are you, You know, we were raised the same. Why all of a sudden are you out? And those conversations, um, when you ask that question, you hear things that are, True, honest, and actually really hard to hear. What are some
1: of the things that you hear people talking about?
0: You know, I, I think the number one thing is I had a problem or I was going through an affair, I was going through an addiction, or whatever, and the church had absolutely no interest in helping me overcome it. I became a source of gossip. I became a source of what they're saying. My, my situation was not kept in privacy. Um, I went to pastors and told them this was what I was dealing with. And I became the source of prayer meetings. I became the source of, um, you know, I was used as an example. I had physicians removed from me. And so rather than the church really stepping up and seeing the church, to some of these kids that had been raised in their own care, they became Um, discarded or easily removed and there was no ministry done within that very house and so it was a um, I believe a really validating reason to feel betrayed and to feel unseen they went from being celebrated and um, loved to suddenly shunned and you know no longer valuable and and that's hard that Mm -hmm. how do you how do you coach people out of that place
1: Yeah. And so with your ministry, what are some of the the key points that you address when you're talking about these things or you're talking to some of these people that have been there? Yeah, I I go
0: back to my own disappointments and I think the easy thing to do is just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, if this one organization or this one church or this one leader hurt me, then I'm just going to assume that that is across the board, how all churches and Christians and leaders are. Steve Cuss, who wrote Leadership Anxiety, he talks, this is called same species syndrome, where we get hurt, we get um, disappointed, we're abused. And I want to be really clear about this. When I talk about staying in a church or an organization, I am not talking about staying in toxic, abusive um, environments. What I am talking about is staying connected with Jesus. And we can remove ourselves from an organization or from a church because we've been hurt without actually um, leaving Jesus. And what Steve Cuss talks about is the same species syndrome where we associate one hurt or one um, experience with the church or with the leader and assume that it's going to happen for the rest of our lives in any church organization that we belong to. And when it happens to us in our 20s, Or in our formative years, whether we were sexually abused as children in a church or emotionally abused by a leader, there is a natural fight or flight that happens in us where we either run away completely or we dig in and we get combative and we start Twitter wars and we kind of go to the other side of things. And what I'm trying to teach people and raise to say is that God is ultimately the only one who will not fail us or leave us. People are going to disappoint us. They are going to betray us. There is going to be a Judas at every table. There will be a King Saul at every um, relationship where we're betrayed by a leader. But in that, we always know that Jesus is sitting at that same table with us. And so the hope was raised to stay is that we kind of take the focus off the hurt and the bitterness and the betrayal and put our eyes back on the healer and a community that there are still good people in churches who are committed to loving us well.
1: And I would say probably more good people than bad. Yeah. Um, obviously, those bad um, experiences and situations in churches really are the loudest voices in the room when you hear about things. Uh, one thing that I sort of, you know, made this comparison as I was doing work for my book was You know, when you think about uh, someone that's been in, if you're just talking about an abusive relationship, for example, um, when they, if they get out of that abusive relationship, like they might have like a fear or even a hatred of men or, you know, whatever it was, that was the abusive thing. But that doesn't mean that all men are going to treat them that way. Um, Same thing with like childhood trauma. When you look at a kid that's been through a lot, like they have so much healing and rebuilding to do. Um, and it's the same thing with like a relationship with a church. It, you, If you let it fester, it's not going to get any better, <clears throat> but you have to do the work to sort of find that healing because it's just not healthy. Whatever you're talking about in life, it's not healthy to let something just infect you with bitterness and anger. And and I see that a lot online. i actually TikTok is where so a lot of that recently uh, was very shocked by all the negative comments I was getting about just like sharing some basic data about how church improves your life. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a great point that sometimes doesn't really sink in with people. Um, you know, when it comes to church, a lot of people say, you know, that you can, uh, you're, part of the, you're part of the universal church, obviously, as a Christian, which is, you know, the larger body of, you know, everyone that's a Christian, we're part of the universal church, but the local church is sort of like the second component of church. And I still hear it. I still see it that you don't need church to be a Christian and have a relationship with God. And I always say, well, yeah, that's true. You don't need it, but like, why do you, why should you want it? Why does God want us to be a part of that? What makes you want to stay?
0: Yeah, and my my mom and I were talking about this in the car yesterday. That it would have been really easy, based off of what our family walked out um, in my later teen years of ministry, just to really forsake community altogether because it does feel like a collective betrayal. Like I was part of this family, and now that family didn't protect me. So therefore, I'm now you know an orphan in this church this church environment and. When we're rejected, that is kind of the first place we go is, well, then I need to find another community that will receive me as I am. And when you are rejected by that community, that is a, I feel like it's one of the worst pains. I think it's, I think church hurt is actually worse than when we have family fallout, if I'm being honest, because um, we have shared sacred moments with people. We've prayed with people. We have, been vulnerable with people. And suddenly that feels like we've been um, violated. Um, But what my mom and I were saying in the car last night, is, we think one of the reasons why we have stuck it out is number one, we honestly love Jesus so much. And Jesus loves his church. And so when you love Jesus, you love what he loves. It's that first break, you know, I want my heart to break for what breaks yours, the orphan, the widow, the Um, the marginalized. And when we really kind of go to the, and do the hard work, like what we were talking about counseling, and if, if we need medication, whatever it looks like, when we really do the hard work of unpacking the hurt and separating our hurt from Jesus, we realize that our love for Jesus is actually still there. And he will slowly start to restore the things that he loved and put that back in our heart. And for us, we really do love his church. We really do love his And when I can honestly say I have been hurt, and the reason I'm hurt is because I loved those people more than anything. And the reason that that hurt is because I allowed myself to love. Then we can slowly start to learn how to love again. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to trust right away. It doesn't mean that we're going to let all these people back into our lives. But we start to look for that community again where we can be part of something bigger than ourselves because Jesus loves his people church. And that for me took some time. I went through church, hurt, went all through college and didn't have a church community, but then it was like, I started to miss it as I healed. I started to miss it. And that's my prayer for people is that they would separate the hurt, um, from what that love of God's people again. And it, it you know, it's a different journey for everyone, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so I was thinking, you know, of course, like, church and like Christians, I guess, like should be held to a higher standard in terms of like how we treat people. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason you see abusive people in churches sometimes is because, um, there's just an element of trust there that is given without, um, you know, so much investigation, I guess just, Oh, he's a pastor. Well, he's must be a really good person. Right. And so now we've seen some of these abuse situations come out and um, we're seeing um, investigations taking place at these big churches where the pastors, like, you, you know, everybody, you know the names, won't say them. But, um, you know, I guess the question is, how do, or maybe you don't have an answer, so I'm just kind of springing this on you, but like, how do we have better oversight with stuff like that? And also, it's like, I'm a big proponent of micro microchurches, house, um, house churches know, smaller communities, that's big for me, but that seems almost like, um, it could be a lot harder because you can't just have like a, cause anybody, you could start a church with, and it's not official. Right. So, um, I don't know, is there an answer to that?
0: <laughs> you know, I, either, I don't have an, I don't have like a concrete answer I, for me personally, one thing that has saved me has been having, um, mentors in my life who are not connected to the church I serve at. So when yeah. I was in high school, and I do this with my own girls, um, I my parents always had people in my life who spoke into me that they trusted. And so I looked for that growing up then, having people who were about 10, 20 years ahead of me who could speak into my life and knew me, knew me well, knew me outside of my position, knew me outside of all that. And I think even here at New Life, our pastors do a really good job of having overseers and those who are outside of the church walls who can look in in a very um, unbiased way and see things that maybe we don't see when we're entrenched in the everyday ministry. And so for me, whenever I come into an organization and I, let's say you walk into an organization and you can tell that person is not good, that leader is toxic, there's abuse happening there. The first thing that I will do is call those mentors and say, pray into this with me, because I think I'm seeing something that Mm -hmm. is not okay. And, you know, sometimes you're right. And I think that I always say discernment is not judgment. So if you are in a church and you know something's wrong, you have two choices you can report it or you can leave. And if you don't feel safe enough to report it, then that speaks highly of the organization and it's probably time to go and try to find somewhere that's healthier. But I want to encourage you all that just because it's happening in one church doesn't mean it's happening across the board. But we do need to have mentors in our lives that we can test and call and say, hey, tell me, am I crazy? Is this this right? Am I seeing this right? Am I hearing this right? Because if we try to do ministry on our own, that is when we will get tripped up and when we will end up, you know, not... um, using our discernment and thinking we're nuts and getting hurt. And so I've just learned to have multiple levels of accountability as a leader, um, where I can check in and, you know, kind of, um, get multiple voices in the situation.
1: Okay. Discernment isn't judgment. Let's tattoo that on everyone's face. (laughs) Like, I feel like that is such a good concept because I feel like the word judgment is used so wrongly all the time. Yeah. And, um, that is really good. And you're right. I think, you know, the other thing that makes me think of is just like when get, people are going to seminary, like that needs to be a part of seminary, like here's how you keep, you hold yourself accountable. And maybe it is, I have not not been to seminary, but, um, here's how you hold yourself accountable. And like, just instilling these important measures into like the next generation of ministry leaders. And I know I've heard some that do that, but I'm sure not everybody does. And it's more important than ever. You know, it's it's like it reminds me of like Mike Pence, he had the Mike Pence rule. I don't know if you remember that whole thing where his whole he had a rule for yeah. himself that he would never be in a room alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. and that everybody made fun of him and everything for that. but um, but in a way, like it was pretty smart, it, like not, I'm not saying that people should need to do that with women. That, the example is just, that's how he held himself accountable. And, you know, you got to think about things like that in advance. And, um, and it's, it's a big job, like it's a huge, big thing. And there are all kinds of components at every level to make the church better in that way. Um, and I think we're working on that.
0: Yes, and I think, unfortunately, the people that are making the mistakes right now and who are publicly falling um, and kind of pridefully falling, I mean, honestly, some of them are not going down very easily. Um, I think it's teaching us something. We learn good leadership by, unfortunately, having to walk out difficult leaders. And one of the things our pastor here talks a lot about is that it's not really the 20s and 30s where we lose our mind. It's actually in our 40s and 50s when we get lazy. And we start to think, oh, I'm good. I've been doing this now for 20 or 30 years. Like I don't need accountability. I don't need help. Um, I already know how to run my marriage and my kids are grown up and we get lazy and we um, get sloppy and the enemy kind of sneaks in the back door. And before you know it, we're seeing pastors having affairs. We're watching marriages fall apart. We're watching people who had dynamic ministries completely walk away from the Lord. And it's because we get cocky and we get prideful and we think, I'm good. Like, I can do this for another 20 years. And what I'm hoping for our generation is that we can look at the one under us and say, okay, we may not have been the greatest model, but we really want to set you up for success. And here's what has tripped us up. So let's talk about that. Let's not hide it. Let's not bury it. Um, But I do think this discernment thing, we have ignored sound discernment because we haven't wanted to be seen as judgmental. And so we've let leaders lead who should have been sat down 10 years ago because we didn't want to seem judgmental when really we need to start calling crap out and saying, I see it. It's not healthy. And what are we going to do about it? Um, and mm-hmm. not feel guilty that we have discernment. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is so true. And it's hard. It's the hard thing. the The hard thing is not usually... Uh, or the, the right thing is usually not the easy thing, I guess is what I meant to say. And um, it also just speaks to number one, how just high of a calling it is to lead a body of people. Like that's a big deal. You don't want to like do that unless God really truly calls you to it. And number two, just like the power of it, it, it kind of makes me think of being a mom and raising kids. Like, I'm just like, I literally cannot turn these people out well without God. Like God, I have to put them in his hands and I have to listen for his voice. I can't do it without him. And and a pastor and a church staff, they can't do it unless they are attuned to him. Like you can't live a double life and be doing this well. And so I'm actually working on something right now that's uh, a little bit of a, like a material and resources for like what to look for when you're looking for a new church. And so I guess I would ask that question to you. What are some of the things that maybe our red flags when someone's looking and, and they should think twice about like committing to a church. Well, first of all, I stay off
0: Google reviews because <laughs> when you get on Google reviews, it, you know, usually people only put those out if they're going to complain. So right. Number one, number two, I would, I would look for number one, a really strong kids ministry. Mm-hmm. Cause when there is a kids ministry that is stable and strong, you know, at least if you have children that they're going to be taken care of. We as adults, you know, we can kind of figure it out. But on top of that, I would look for a church that has a multi-generational style of leadership. I wouldn't look for the church that has only 20 somethings mm-hmm. Don't look for the church that's like um, a themed church, like we're only here for the millennials or whatever. Really look for a church that has babies to the traditionalists. You want to yeah. see that because what that tells you is that there's multi-generational mentorship and discipleship that is a core value for that church you don't want your 25 year old pastor not having someone over him and speaking into his life if that if that's the case you're probably going to be disappointed so i look for multi-generational congregants as well as multi-generational leadership if your entire staff is in their 20s that might be a red flag i would watch out for celebrity culture i think anytime that a church really highlights one person all the time that is a dangerous um kind of setup for that pastor and for the congregation so i would look for a church that really celebrates um, mission that really celebrates um, what they're doing for the kingdom globally internationally i would really avoid a church that is like um pushing products and
1: pushing Mm -hmm. um, programs i would really want them to push jesus So Right, right. Oh, that's so good. I love number one, that intergenerational thing, I think is just so, so important um, to have, you know, people that are just in all different stages of life and in their faith life. Um, And then I know you talk a lot about discipleship, which is, you know, that's sort of a, almost like a, not a confusing term, but like, it's a little muddled sometimes, because I asked my pastor, um, about setting up some discipleship stuff. And he was kind of like, now that he didn't want that, but he's like, it's almost like not something that you can just like create a program and like disciple people. It has to be sort of cultivated by God himself and bringing people together. And so it can be hard and it can also be like, you're not going to do it unless you're actually intentionally seeking it out. Um, But we are lacking that severely in the church today. And I think if and I'm just kind of babbling about this but but what I, but I think a, a lot of times if people that have gone through some of this hurt had been being discipled by a like a strong person of faith amid their hurt that maybe could have saved them from some of the trauma that they went through um, or helped them deal with it better um but a lot of times I think people just walk away and they're alone and they're cut off and so I think I don't know how we make discipleship like more of a thing, but I would like to.
0: Yeah, you you use the word intentionality. I one of the things that I think that churches lack sometimes when it comes to discipleship is the intentionality in it. Because you're right, unless you pursue it, it's not something that comes naturally. And our generation kind of got skipped over in that piece because we were told we'll just go do quiet times or yeah. just you know go spend time with the Lord. Well, what in the heck does that mean? Like. I don't, disciple me, show me how. If you show me how to do this, then I can show somebody else how to do this. And so I think we kind of got left in the dark on this whole discipleship piece because the generation above us, they got their church, they got their ministry, they got their book deals, they got their speaking gigs. And then it was like, I'm going to hold on to it. And I don't want to share because I worked really hard for this. And really, we weren't trained. Um, We were kind of taught to throw yourself on social media and see what happens. But I think in churches, if we're intentional about small group communities, if we're intentional about male groups, if we model multi-generational uh, one-on-ones, I love in Colorado Springs, I will walk into any coffee shop and I will see a man or a woman in their 60s or 70s sitting down with someone in our church from their 30s and 40s. We model it so well here that it becomes attractive and it becomes part of the culture. But you have to be intentional in creating that culture. And in women's ministry, I make sure that all of my table leaders, all of my small group leaders are all either being mentored by someone or have a spiritual you know, representative in their life and that they are also mentoring. So there's a who's your lowest, who's your Eunice. We're not going to just be navel-gazing. We're not just meeting groups because we want to have good food and talk. We're actually being intentional about discipleship. And mentorship, and that takes several years of intentionality to create a culture.
1: Yeah, I think mentorship is—I don't know—a lot of people, I think, hear that word and they're kind of like, mm, like they're not—it's not really <clears throat> ringing any bells. Um, but when I—I've done some research on just the power of mentorship for kids. Like I—I I participate in Big Brothers Big Sisters, so I mentor a little girl that's like fourteen. And I have been so overwhelmed by like the positive outcomes of having mentors for vulnerable kids. Um, but then, you know, go, taking that further, like the power of mentors for literally everybody has such positive outcomes, whether you're talking spiritually or not. But I think, you know, with, with spiritual mentoring, which would be discipleship, like that's like almost going to be like a superpower or, or, you know, something, you're not going to have access to what you get out of that unless you do it. Uh, right. Yeah. So, somebody on a date too, because, you know, I'll, it's funny, some of the
0: girls here will come up to me and you can tell they're kind of nervous and they're like, Would you have time to like maybe go to coffee? And of course, I want to do that. And I think that it's important for pastors to know like, we can't do that to everyone. We can't be that for everyone. But I think to have a list in our heads of like, if somebody were to come to you and say, I'm really seeking counsel or mentorship, like to be able to refer them to like five or six other people that we would trust to take that i think we need to always have that kind of card in our back pocket mm-hmm. to help direct it because you're right it's an awkward kind of uh ask like will you be my mentor like will you go on a date with me <laughs> you no know, but it's you're you're, in, you're asking for a long-term commitment it's not an eight-week bible study right so i think we have to know as the mentor what we're saying yes to and as the mentee what we are asking because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, accountability is connected to mentorship.
1: (laughs) That makes me want to like start a like discipleship, like movement. Like, I don't know. It's got me all fired up where I'm like, okay, let's do this. Like people need to put themselves out there. I need to put myself out there, uh, you know, and be more attentive to, you know, who that could be for me in my world um, outside of what I'm already doing. Um, Okay. Natalie. Well, we could probably talk about a million things for a second, but let me, let me close us off here with, um, I always ask people, what are you reading? What are you loving lately? Podcasts, books, tell us what we can check out.
0: You know, I have, I had the privilege of hearing Steve Cuss speak. He is a expert on leadership anxiety. And guys, I am telling you, if you can get his content at all, if you are a leader, it was life-changing for me just to sit under a couple hours of his teaching and really kind of um hold myself accountable to some of the things that are kind of hang-ups for me in leadership the way i lead my team the way i lead my family even um so leadership anxiety i love the book too how to lead when you're not in charge i mm-hmm. think a lot of us are in, in positions in our church where we're not the lead pastor we're not the um, department head um, but we are leading at some capacity because god has entrusted these people to us so really how to lead when we're not holding a title that gives us authority to make a lot of changes that maybe we would want to make. Um, and how to just be a, um, a really strong advocate for the people that God has entrusted to us. Podcast, love Sarah Jakes. Um, okay. Incredible. Um, I, I love to listen to people who don't look like me, sound like me, come from my same background. Um, Sarah Jakes Roberts is T.D. Jakes' daughter, and she has incredible testimony. And if you're looking to like learn how to find your own voice and how you teach and speak, she is just phenomenal. And okay. So I'm going
1: to be all over that. I haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah. She's great. Yeah. And then, of course, I just love all of I mean,
0: I just love anytime somebody recommends anything. So if you're looking, I say go to somebody you really value and trust and ask them what they're reading and what they're listening to. And then don't just say you're going to do it do it and a new life one called the essential church podcast if you are a leader we have some incredible pastors and teachers at new life that essential church podcast touches everything from communication to hiring and firing all the things
1: okay that's awesome okay natalie well thank you so much that was so helpful and interesting and i'm so excited about your book you'll have to let us know when you get the actual title if it changes (laughs)
0: Yes, I will. Thank you for having
1: me. This episode was brought
0: to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu slash podcast.